come like one o'clock after we've rung in the New Year's where things are starting to calm down again, I notice they're missing again. Mm-hmm. Couple moments later, same thing. I hear ah and thunk 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 thunk. Same people. Uh huh. Where mm-hmm. it, this time they weren't trying to sneak off and test boundaries, but they were okay. You know, we we've got to you know something's happening. We got to prove this. We got to figure this out. So. It was at this point I was starting to get a movie playing so I could actually walk away from the hole with the group a bit and leave them. We weren't running a game or an event. And I was like, all right, guys, let's let's go. Let's go see what's going on. And we went upstairs to this third floor, sat down and waited. And it was quiet and it was dark. And as we're waiting, they're they're sitting there kind of antsy and scared and jittery and, you know, quietly whispering to themselves. And then you hear it. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes... Beheld an eerie sight, for my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise. Good morning, Lindsay. Hi, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing this morning? Uh, I'm I'm dragging a little bit, but I'm overall doing well. I'm happy to be alive. Yeah. Hey. And, you know, fall is here, so cooler weather and campfires and just, I I love fall. Yeah. Yeah, I like this weather, too. It's been really oddly humid for this time of year, but it's going to cool down, which I'm kind of glad of, because if it's going to be fall, commit to fall, okay? Just let it be (laughs) fully fall, please. (laughs) Are you one of the people who does pumpkin spice everything this time of year? No, absolutely not. Thank you. Absolutely not. Thank you. We, we can keep being friends. Right. I wanted to see what the hype was about, so I did, at one time, got a pumpkin spice coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, and it was the most disgusting thing. I mean, I can choke down a bad coffee, but this was so bad, it tasted like it was infused with, like, Chinese food spices, like MSG. It was the weirdest thing. I did, I had to dump it. It was disgusting. I feel like I want to throw up with how you're describing that. Oh. It was gross. I do like pumpkin beer. Like, um, Sam Adams actually uh, has one called Jacko's. And that was really good. It tasted, it had, it didn't just taste like pumpkin. It tasted like you could taste the nutmeg and the cinnamon. And, and it was really nice. Like one. But I only want one a year. You know, that's it. But other than that, no, I'm not a pumpkin person. I have not tried a pumpkin beer yet. Just rabbit trail because you said this. Friend of mine and listener, Craig, he had me try. It was Trog, which is one of our local breweries, makes like a chocolate beer. It's really good. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, no, you, you got to try this. So he had me do, you know what a Boilermaker is? Mm, no. You put, you put a shot of scotch or whiskey in a beer. Oh, okay. I think we call it a car bomb here. <laughs> okay. I call it a boilermaker. So he was like, "Yeah, you got to try this. And he he got screwball peanut butter whiskey with this chocolate beer. Did a boilermaker. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was the one of the oh. best things I'd ever had. Yes. Oh, that was yes. good. 
Screwball's yummy. See, I don't like straight screwball, though. It's too yeah. sweet. Yeah, it is really sweet. I don't like sweet, sweet scotch. I, of the sweet scotches I've tried, it's not... Or, it's not a scotch. Whiskies. Of the sweet whiskies I've tried, okay, I can I can stomach that because it's got the peanut butter in it, but mm-hmm. it's not something I would buy by itself. But with yeah. it, doing a Boilermaker with the Trog... Uh, I forget which beer it was, but their chocolate beer and a screwball. Oh my goodness, that was good. It was like a peanut butter mm. cup. That sounds delicious. It was. That sounds good. I think um, there's a chocolate vodka up here. I don't know. There's There must be chocolate vodka everywhere, but that and screwball is like, what? It's dangerous. It's just plain dangerous. <laughs> Stay away, but it tastes good. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just buy plain vodka if I do. And the only reason I do that is because if Mel wants something that's harder than the wine she prefers, the only thing she'll drink are uh, screwdrivers, orange juice, and vodka. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. You know, cute little story behind that. We were on our honeymoon, and we, we went and did a cruise. And they have the captain's night where, you know, it's the big party night on the ship. And... uh for the one section of it, you can order free drinks. And I ordered two screwdrivers because they were the... I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. But I just... I normally drink things straight or neat. So it was the least fruity ingredients in a drink I could find. So it was... I got two screwdrivers and Mel got like two sour apple martinis or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my sour apple martinis because she tried a sip of my screwdriver and took both of them. Oh, that's funny. I went out with Colby a couple weeks ago, and um, I'm trying to stay keto, and so I didn't want beer. (laughs) So I ordered tequila, just, and she's like, just tequila? I'm like, yeah, just, just tequila. You should have seen the look she gave me, like I had two heads or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it gave me a little bit of pride, you know, that I was being atypical, I guess. <laughs> I think I'm always kind of atypical, but it was very good. I think it was hornitos. I, I've had tequila once in my life, so I don't know. Yeah, it's, I, I, I do like it. Nobody I know likes it, though, besides me. I, I do, I like the taste. Okay. Hey, power to you. One of these days, we're going to get... With uh, Ken and Your Nell. People. Yeah, my people. Uh, they, they've got their own podcast. They're doing as well, uh, just the two of us. And one of these days I'm going to get with them. Well, we're going to get with them, and we're going to do the, the alcohol episode. So yeah. that just depends on when our schedules are, are when our schedules align. Oh. Yeah. But When do they record during the week? Do you know? They don't have a... Well, they're married, so... They record when they have time. They don't have a set schedule like we do. They should have plenty of time. <laughs> no, I I know a lot because of what... the whole thing is they don't have children. <laughs> what else do they do? Oh, they do well, a lot. I don't know, but... They do a lot. They, they've got a couple irons in the fire with different businesses, and so they, they are busy. I'll give them credit for That's that. Cool. And I'm just teasing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Guys. Sounds like you're there's... buying drinks. 
but uh, uh no they they're in trouble already they're busy i haven't well and they do a lot of traveling too because they yeah they've got must be nice well they've got a, a vlog channel that they run as well on youtube and i it's kenny and nell i think it is it's either oh cute it's either kenny and nell or nell and kenny i don't remember which order it is but uh they do a vlog travel channel. I'll I'll just put links in the description for this week as well. Yeah. That uh, you know that's pretty cool. So I I've enjoyed their videos when they put them up. Anyway, all of that aside, with it being fall, and with when this episode comes out, it's Halloween week. Yay! My kids are so excited. Are now with Halloween? Do you guys normally dress up like the whole family or just the kids? Um, I don't want to spend money on a costume for myself, so if I come up with an idea that I can sort of <laughs> do, like I was Colby one year because it was funny, but then like I can't really do that every year, so that was it. <laughs> well, okay. I had like... If yeah. you were Colby one year, did you get him to then dress as you? No, with the way... So this is the first year that his job hasn't kept him working until like five thirty, six o'clock at night, so he's always missed the trick-or-treating, trunk-or-treating type thing. So, but maybe this year he'll make it because it's earlier in the day and it's on a Sunday. So we're going to do trunk-or-treating. And if I lived in a neighborhood that had a lot of houses that you would want to go to, maybe I'd think about taking them actual trick-or-treating. But we live in a re really rural area. Those are my tricky words. And so it wouldn't really be any fun. Like, we go to our neighbor's house, who's super, super sweet, and she gives them candy, and it's really nice. But we go to um, uh, all the churches in the area do trunk-or-treating, where uh, they decorate their trunks, like, all Halloween-y. And a lot of people have games and things you can do, and there's prizes and copious amounts of candy. And so... Uh, my son got invited by a girl at his that he used to go to school to to her Halloween trunk or treating thing, so we're all gonna go to her church this year instead of our normal church, so that's so that's cute. <laughs> every Sorry. well, almost every year we kind of did it last year, uh, but we we started a trunk or treat shortly after I came on as the youth director for my church, and I'll tell you what that's one of the greatest events that we do every year have done every year as yeah. far as pulling people in uh it's just a great time to throw the doors open for the community to provide a safe spot because we've got this nice little oasis in the middle of the city with a big parking lot so it's you know what come on in you're not running along the side of the street we do um We've got a little haunted trailer that gets set up normally. We've got a bunch of people who will set their trunks up and dress up and have fun with it. We'll, occasionally we'll have the fire ring out depending on weather. And it's just, it is this great little connective and outreach event just to say, hey, this is who we are. We're going to have fun, yeah. but we're still a church. We're still presenting the gospel in loving our neighbors. Yeah, it, it's... I love our trunk or treat when we do them, cause they're just they're what's fun. A, what's a fire ring? Fire ring? Uh, fire pit. Oh, a fire pit. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, sometimes a I call it a fire, fire ring. Yes. 
<laughs> and and what is your haunted trailer? What is that about? What do you do? How do you make it scary? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> There's, um, again, well, yeah, Craig, who introduced me to the screwball trog chocolate beer. Uh, he sets up this trailer with all of these like haunted or not haunted, but spooky yard decoration things and makes this little, just a quick little walkthrough of a haunted trailer. That's just, uh, goofy oh, and lighthearted. Like an RV? No, like, um, like a, like a tow behind trailer. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and he just sets it up. It's just this quick little, you know, whoo, can you get through it real quick? And it's, yeah. it, you know, it takes... 45 seconds to walk through but the kids still have fun with it because what he'll do is he'll hide like that spider that automatically senses when someone walks by it and drops down well he'll set it up in the middle of the path so it's dropping down on your head or you know, little things cool. like that just to make it fun yeah and and add yeah, that little fun. bit of spooky element it yeah. it can be a little bit fun to be scared and, and there's uh, we'll we'll come back to that. I'll say that later. But I, I really have a story that I want to share with you about okay. churches and spookiness, and it's great. I, I think you're going to sure. enjoy this. Okay. So when we were in that young adult ministry oh so many years ago, okay, mm -hmm. one of the things that we would do is we would travel around the churches and occasionally a church would actually have us stay in their church overnight. You remember that? Yeah. Yep. Did, did you ever feel like weirded out in a church at night? Yeah. Well, it's weird being in a place that's always full and busy and it not being full or busy and dark. Yeah. It is sort of an eerie feeling. It, it's even worse, especially if there's like the grand architecture of it and it has a high vaulted ceiling. You ever notice that? Like when there is a high vaulted ceiling that's dark, it almost always feels like there's something up in those rafters looking down at you. You ever feel that? Well, yeah, yeah, especially in a church where you kind of, even though you're not supposed to, you sort of feel like it's a holier place than normal, even though it's not, because we carry that in us, right, technically? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it... But it still has that vague feeling of the of the holy slash forbidden slash vacancy something yeah that's a spooky feeling. Okay, great. Sure. So so you can empathize with that feeling. You you know what I'm going to speak to in a minute. Then oh, so many years ago at the first church I worked for as a youth director, it was a church built in uh, I want to say it was the 50s off the top of my head. I think it was the 50s. And it had kind of a, a gothic build to it. Not quite gothic. It was a stone church. whole thing was stone. And they actually built it as a replacement to the church before that burnt to the ground. So their reaction was to go very heavy on a lot of fireproofing things. And this is a brief aside, but like they did the walls with a metal mesh and like a thick plaster, fireproofing a plaster. So if you wanted to get Wi-Fi and you walked out of a room where you had Wi-Fi, you lost it immediately because it was like a giant Faraday cage, the whole building. Huh. But, cool. you know, so the walls are thick. They're, they're, they, there's a certain kind of, I don't want to say ancient, but like, you know, established feel to this whole building. 
It was a great building. It really was. It was a great church. That first year I was the youth director there, getting used to the building, getting used to the kids, the community, and things were going well, starting to figure things out, decided to do an event that, that became an event we did every year, and we did a youth group lock-in on New Year's Eve so that the kids could come, they could be in the church, we'd do an all-night thing for New Year's, and the families could have a all night for themselves for new year's great event did it every year as the youth director there's always a tension between you and the students especially in a lock-in so that first year with it being my my first solo lock-in as full-time youth director I, it wasn't just me but it was me running the event i knew that you know what the especially because I'm the new youth director, this is the first year of a lock-in, they're going to push. They're going to try to find the boundaries of of what they can get away with with me. And there was this mm-hmm. creepy upstairs third floor hallway that just had two old Sunday school rooms and just was never used for anything other than storage. Mm-hmm. Well, I kept chasing kids out, couples, out of that space all night, all night, every, like, 15 to 30 minutes, I'd have to go up to the third floor and chase the kids out. Hmm. And then they started moving into the sanctuary, which we used for some of our games, but, you know, it was this high-vaulted ceiling, and it was beautiful. It had that air of creepiness, and the kids knew that, and that was kind of the, you know, oh, can can you sit in the sanctuary for five minutes and not freak out? <laughs> but by the end of the night, I was tired i had gone up and down the steps like 30 times and just no i'm not i'm not dealing with that again so i spent the year trying to figure out what i could do next year to be a little more passive in chasing kids out of the forbidden zones for the evening mm-hmm. uh, i i'm i am not a, i am not above being evil it's the best way to phrase that i am not above being evil so lock-in comes around next year and uh, i felt really good because i i knew i knew i was going to get couples and students turning themselves into me all night when they went into the forbidden zones i knew it was going to happen and i was so happy Mm -hmm. so our night starts going on and about 10, 11 o'clock, those few students who, you know, would test those boundaries started doing it again. I just kind of smiled to myself when I noticed they had disappeared from the group, looked at my watch, and waited. Mm-hmm. And like five, ten minutes later, I hear blood-curdling screams. <laughs> and I hear, thunk, 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 coming down the steps. And I'm just smiling to myself because I got to get it out of my system before the those students come charging in. And, you know, it's a couple of those, you know, <clears throat> I'm ultra tough guys and a few yeah. girls behind them charging in, screaming, where's Rob? Where's Rob? Where's Rob? You know, guys are white in the face. Girls are white in the face. I'm like, what's wrong, guys? What's wrong? <laughs> and they're like, there's something in the church. What's going on? What are you talking about? There's nothing in here. I locked all the doors. I cleared the building before we started the evening. It's good. We're fine. We're safe. No, 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 no. There's something in the... 
look, you guys just heard something. You're freaking out. Don't worry about it. Look, we're doing this. And so we moved on with the night. Mm-hmm. Come like one o'clock after we've rung in the New Year's, we're, things are starting to calm down again. I notice they're missing again. Mm-hmm. Couple moments later, same thing. I hear ah and thunk, 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 thunk. uh huh. Where mm-hmm. it, this time they weren't trying to sneak off and test boundaries, but they were okay. You know, we we've got to you know something's happening. We got to prove this. We got to figure this out. So. It was at this point I was starting to get a movie playing so I could actually walk away from the whole of the group a bit and leave them. We weren't running a game or an event. And I was like, all right, guys, let's let's go. Let's go see what's going on. And we went upstairs to this third floor, sat down and waited. And it was quiet and it was dark. And as we're waiting, they're they're sitting there kind of antsy and scared and jittery and you know, quietly whispering to themselves. And then you hear it. (laughs) And all the kids jump, and they're staring at me, white-faced, and I'm like, what's wrong? (laughs) What's wrong, guys? Like, you didn't hear that? Hear what? Oh, how did you even keep a straight face? I don't know, because I... So, you know, the... Threw your tongue off? Oh my gosh, it was tough. But I set up that night two, they're called Evil Trons. You can still find them on like Amazon. But they were just these little battery powered circuit boards that had spooky sounds. I set one up in the sanctuary and I set one up in this hallway. Just, you know, knowing that as soon as those little sound makers went off, I I had my passive security of chasing kids out. Yeah, it, it was on a random, yeah, it went off every five to ten or fifteen minutes, so somewhere in that range, they would go off. And it worked perfectly that night because, you know, I, I had kids out of those areas. And I played on what was the spookiness of that building, of that church with all of the lights Brilliant. off. Brilliant. I, I am. Now. I, I have shared that story with other peers and professionals who are very, oh, you can't do that in the church. That's not okay. Why would you bring fear into the church? And we'll, we'll come back to that comment in a moment because I do want to, I got to finish the, the bit of the story. Huh. So after that moment, I let that ride through the rest of the evening. I, I played dumb to it until morning. So I woke everybody up in, in the morning, you know, okay, breakfast time. And took that group of students upstairs to the third floor hallway in the light light went over and pulled out the little circuit board with the speaker and i said look this is what it was and, and i leveled with him i said i did this because i knew you guys were sneaking up here last year i knew you were going to do it again we're going to do the same event next year but understand i'm going to escalate the prank next year so if you do this again it's not going to be a little circuit board with a girl's laughter on it it's going to be something worse and I'll know. Yeah. <laughs> I I never Do had an issue. Challenge me. Right. I never had an issue again with that because the kids got the idea that I wasn't playing around. Mm-mm. And I will. That's awesome. Prank them in a way where they will turn themselves in effectively. Because <laughs> you you won't be able to walk around being syruped and feathered kind of thing. Although I never did that. <laughs> 
That sounds much nicer than tar and feathering. But... It, well, yeah. But, it, you know, it, it set that limit and boundary of, okay, look, I'm, I love you guys. And you're not a pushover. You established who you were. And I established it in a way where it was, it was firm, but it was in such a way that they could relate and go, oh, wow, he really got us. And they had fun with it in the future. So it became yeah. kind of a relational thing instead of a, you know, a hard boundary. Giving them the sex lecture or something. Right. Because, you know, they, they get that lecture that, you know, oh, how dare you go upstairs and try and make out with your girlfriend. It became, no, we're going we're gonna to set these boundaries, but you need to understand I'm going to be coming at you for the boundaries. So it, it was good. It built a relationship. It built a level of fun into the evening. That's cool. Kudos to you for doing any of that. Hey, I felt the, really um, proud of myself. and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, we I did still... lock-ins in our secret ministry that we were part of, right? The clandestine, <laughs> clandestine. organization. Oh my goodness! We never did a lock-in. We never, we never did lock-ins. We never did a youth group lock-in that I remember. No. Okay. I before that ministry, when I was associated with the youth ministry that was there, they did a lock-in with uh, with my alma mater now. They had a big youth program. Hey, all the churches in this area, we're going to do a, it's like a 500 person lock-in on their campus. And it was crazy. That's crazy. Well, no, no, no. They, what they did for that. uh, So I went to Lancaster Bible College. What they did is they pulled all their youth men majors. So that was like a hundred students. And they said, Hey, we're going to do a lock-in. So it counts towards your class credit. And you get a grade on this. We're going to invite all these churches from this area. So you have the leaders from the churches in the area. You have the leaders who you're trying to raise up to be good youth ministers and youth pastors. And you have all of the students who are going to push boundaries, but also want to have fun for the night. It, it was a great thing that they did. This was in 2005 that they were doing it. I don't know if they still do that for their youth men majors, but, you know, it it was this. It allowed them to cut their teeth on a lock-in, what that feels like, what that looks like, and the real insanity of it in having tons of kids in a safe environment. Rather than, hey, being a first-year youth director and walking up and down those steps 30 times, chasing teenagers out of the creepy hallway. Huh. So That's cool. Yeah, it was a great did idea. You, did you celebrate, or I say celebrate, but did you do Halloween when you were a youngin'? <laughs> Kind of. We did. You know, we weren't allowed to dress up as anything creepy or scary. or uh, And I grew up in western Pennsylvania, which has a very conflicted history with Halloween. So, huh. the town, the church that Melinda and I first took our calling at, uh, when we started there in 2008, that was the first year that they had Halloween in 16 years. Mm-hmm. Because there was, in 92, there was a young lady who was kidnapped and killed on Halloween night. And it was a... Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a big thing. It made some national news. It it put the relationship with Western Pennsylvania and Halloween on a weird footing. Uh, even, well, Pennsylvania itself and Halloween. Because when's trick-or-treat night for you guys? Is it Halloween night? Uh, I think this year it will be, yeah. Because it's on a Sunday. See, for us, they're doing it on a Thursday. Why? 
it, they just don't like doing trick-or-treat night in Pennsylvania on Halloween night. Because that's when people plan things, and if you do it not on a day that's not Halloween, it's harder to figure when the children will be around. That's my assumption, but, I mean, it's it's always been weird where, you know, I go to tr schedule our trunk-or-treat in August, and I have to wait. I have to wait until I find out what what the police chiefs in the county have decided of when tr trick-or-treat night will be. Because I want to do our trunk-or-treat on trick-or-treat night. And uh, it's a pain. It really is. <laughs> so I... We did Halloween. My mother was always cautious about it, and we we normally did things as a, a family, even when I was in a uh, older a teenager. But that was also the point where I was like, "No, nah, that's for little kids." Mm. Now, saying that, you know, we're we're dressing up as a family this year. Oh, what are you doing? We're we're doing Star Wars. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we're doing. So Ray is dressing up as Mando. Uh, I can never pronounce his name. Jing? The Jing? Ah, whatever. Mando from The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Adeline is dressing up as Sabine Wren from nice. Rebels. Cool. Uh, Melinda is dressing up as Rey uh, Skywalker. And I'm dressing up as old Luke Skywalker. Fitting. Really? You got the beard. Well, you've got the beard. I wanted to do Obi-Wan. She kept telling me I needed to do Luke. Old Luke. You could have done, yeah, you could have done Obi-Wan too, but. So my son's name is Toby, and I have one been wanting him to be Toby One Kenobi, but he won't, <laughs> <laughs> he won't be Toby One Kenobi. Ah. <laughs> uh. Toby's going to be a um, Grim Reaper type thing with like a, there's like a cloth over his face, mm -hmm. but the girl who invited him is going to be disappointed <laughs> That's okay. Ma Maggie wanted to be a fairy, which was a hard one to find online. So she's happy, but it's like wings and a skirt and like a tiara thing and a wand. It's not really, I guess that's a costume. It's just not like an outfit. And then Evie wanted to be a ghost at first, but I couldn't find anything that wasn't scary or made for babies. So I convinced her to do a ninja, so she's a ninja. Oh, that'll <laughs> be cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll say yeah. this. One of the fun things this year with Halloween is I, I'm printing things for all of our costumes. Oh, uh, cool. I printed things for, like, each of my siblings or parents... I've wound up printing things for their costumes. Uh, like my mother, I printed the crown from uh, the queen from Brave. My father, I printed mm -hmm. the helmet from the king from Brave, because they're going as the king and queen from Brave. My sister, I did a uh, princess peach crown for her costume. Cool. My other sister, I did the Mary Poppins umbrella parrot head. Cool. So she's getting cool. that. I have to mail that to her. My brother, because we're celebrating his and his wife's marriage, they eloped last year. And finally, mm. with things being kind of a little more stable, we're getting the whole family together and we're celebrating their marriage because they got married on October 31st. Nice. I, I'm doing a cake topper for them that's like, it's the classic Disney Haunted Mansion tombstone. But it's got their names and it's got, you know, together forever and... 
It'll be oh, cute. Cool. It'll be fun. That's cool. But uh, that's that's been one of the coolest things. Oh yeah, for you know, for my wife, I printed Ray's lightsaber. For my son, I'm doing a Beskar spear. For Addy, I did. Um... You're doing a spear. I am. I am. Wow, that's intense. Yes, I've already broken it three times. <laughs> <laughs> Must be like a lot of parts because. Yeah, I there's some problem solving on building it that I've been doing, and I finally have a solution that will not break. Uh, I just need the print time to to do it, but that's going to be really cool. Uh, my daughter, I printed Sabine's blaster, so you know the the kids are having fun with it as well because they're getting these things that are part of their costume and very personalized to them. Yeah, that's really neat. Instead of, you know, just the generic, oh, here's your costume, which, I mean, we got the, the here's your costume, but now we're adding to it. We're making it better. That's cool. Or making it a little more personal to them. That's, yeah. Which has been fun. Yeah. This is always a, a question that I don't think we ask enough. Why, culturally, why do we have these days, like Halloween? Where do they come from originally, meaning? Like, why did they Why did they start? Well, when you think or, about or it. Or why do we still do them? All of it. You know, not just why did they start, but, I mean, why do we... Um, so, yeah. Halloween is the 31st, which is a Sunday. And mm -hmm. in, in our church, in our congregation, the day... Or not the day, the week after Halloween, we celebrate All Saints. Which is when we'll, we'll put a, it's not a display, but we'll put a, an item in the sanctuary in front of the communion table. And we light candles for each of the members that we've lost that year. Uh, we invite oh. the congregation forward to light a candle for those that they've lost, uh, current and in the past, as a remembrance. You, you've got... Uh, the Day of the Dead in Mexican culture. You've got other... Go ahead. Well, let's take it way back to, like, Old Testament. What was the point of the festivals? Like, God had set up seven festivals throughout the year. Why? That's what I'm asking. Why do we have this? Why do we have these days? And specifically, I'm, I'm just looking at the Halloween one. Well, the... The spooks and the ghosts and the ghouls, the the creepiness of Halloween. Yeah, well, I think it's... Uh... Go ahead. With, with your point that you brought up from the Old Testament, it was to pause, to remember, to focus mm -hmm. on a very specific event or a very specific time of worship yeah. uh, around something. Yeah, exactly. I, I keep thinking of the Feast of Booths. I can't remember why they did that. I think it was Feast of Booths. I, I think it was to remember how transient their lives were in the wilderness. So you built, a tr you built a booth, and then you had to go sleep in the booth. And I think it was supposed to remind you what, what your ancestors did in the wilderness. But yeah, I think the purpose of the festivals and the days of remember days to remember things that god 
or we didn't want don't want to forget and so there's this nature within us to almost build uh man words are not doing well with me today but to build this memorial-esque moment or activity or process around something that we've seen or dealt with in the past but even so i looking at halloween part of what i look at and see is there's there's almost a morbidness to our ability morbidity thank you morbidity to how we process death those we've lost and the fact that we too will die. Mm. You know, how do you how do you relieve that stress? And I think that's part of what Halloween is and can be for some people of that's gotta be an outlet. They gotta let a little bit of that morbid creepiness almost process. by making a mockery of it a little yeah. like yeah. it's not a big deal. <laughs> I'm a ghost. Ha <laughs> ha Well you know, exactly. Maybe. But then you know, we have the elements of coming at it from a very Christian perspective. Uh, I hold death is not natural. It was not what we were supposed to be or experience within creation. So death is this unnatural thing that our spirit cries against. Because our spirit is... You know, we hold is. is eternal. Right. So why this tension? Why this even spookiness within a church at night? What about the spiritual throws us to this point? Well, you're right about the tension. I think that's maybe, is that where the tension comes from? Is we're not supposed to die. How can I die? How can I just not be here anymore? That's bizarre. That's weird. So... Maybe that's what makes Halloween interesting because we don't really believe we will <laughs> die. We don't really, really believe it, I don't think. Well, but I think it's even fair to take it a, a step further to say that the spirit within us, the the spark of who we are, that's part of what I would describe it as, is is looking at yearning and has some sense, some feeling towards what the spiritual is. So how do we then walk in that understanding of being spirit, but being bound by flesh? And, you know, part of what I would say is the original sin has divided the spirit and the flesh more than we're comfortable with. What? (laughs) Well, this is leading me to an interesting line of questioning that's really confusing, Really? Um, I did not know this. Ha, 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 ha. Yes. Oh, darn. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So I'm going to derail things here. I have questions about the the difference between the spirit with a lowercase s. So do I have a spirit? What's the difference between my spirit, if I have a spirit, and my soul? 
And if I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit or I have the Holy Spirit because Jesus is with the Father, now I have the Spirit because I'm... That's another question. When you become a... Jeez. When you become a Christian, do you automatically have the Holy Spirit? And what's the difference between just being born again and having the Spirit of God and being... And like, quote, receiving the Holy Spirit. And then how does that differentiate between my spirit? What's the difference between my spirit and the Holy Spirit? Pick any one of those. Pick any (laughs) one of those. Each one of those is worthy of its own, you know, hour or more podcast. I, I did look up. I looked up spirit and I looked up soul and I looked them up in Hebrew and in Greek but the definitions of spirit and soul in the Greek had a lot of overlap. And sometimes the way they define spirit is there's some of the same wording the way they define soul. So it's not super clear to me except for spirit is like, is that the pneuma one? P-N-E-U-M-A? Like, like breath? Is that the breath of God? <sighs> Well, that that is coming out of um, that's out of Genesis, if I'm remembering it correctly. That's an origin. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And how we see it used first is is that breath of God. Um, in the the creation yeah. narrative, you have in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and, and then the Genesis was hovering over the waters. And Genesis one two all of a sudden hits this weird pause button and goes, and the spirit of the Lord. So there's a delineation between the two. There's the Lord, and then there's the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord. That's weird. It is weird. So his his breath is different than his person, just like my breath is different than my person. My breath isn't the same as me, thank God, because I... But there's, there's an implication in all of that. Hey, da, 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 da. So I was not ready for the Greek and the Hebrew questions. So you're going to have to give me a moment on that one. So I have this great resource. Uh, and if you're in ministry, I highly recommend this. I I love this. Sorry, I'm taking a brief aside, I guess, to, to put a pitch in and uh, commercial. This is my net Bible. I don't remember what the... I think it's New English Translation. Oh. I think. What makes it special? Well, so it's a neat translation I've been reading and, and kind of engaging with a little bit. But this one is really cool because it's the full translation notes version. If you can see that page. Wow. Okay. There's your scriptures. One and two of Genesis. And then all three of those columns in wee little tiny print are all of the translation notes behind why they translated each of those words the way that they did. And the arguments for and against and, you know... That's pretty handy. Oh my goodness, I am loving this thing. So, Net Bible, full translation notes. My family, my... Melinda and the kids got this for me for Christmas last year. And this has been... Mm -hmm. I love it. I, I just... I love this thing. So... Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of the Lord, There, the original Hebrew word is, implies, you know, this is the breath of God, the, 
but it's more than the breath of God. It's like the very essence of life. Now, a bit of what you were wrestling with and asking about, I think, and this is kind of, all right, let me rewind things a lot. Before we start going into the whole depth of some of these conversations and questions, this is an area where I, I can only quote what is probably the best way to understand and walk into these questions. Pastor I work for, amazing pastor, put it best that when you speak about question and try and understand what the Spirit is, because of all of the questions, because of all of the unknowns, it's easy to stumble into areas of heresy. Not intentionally, not trying to create heresy, but, you know, this denomination will say it has to be this way. This denomination will say it has to be this way. The reality of these conversations and of understanding the Spirit is also very personal. We have some guidelines. We have some rules and boundaries that we know from Scripture. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that is just, it, it, it's a part of the great mystery of faith. So as I'm talking through this, I may stumble and I may stumble into some of those heresies. Not intentionally. It's one of those areas that I'm still studying, that I'm still trying to understand. Because there is a great mystery to it. I have what is my best understanding, but my best understanding has changed in 10 years. Not, not in negative ways, but in... You know, the deeper I walk in faith, there's a refinement that happens with my understanding of how the Spirit happens, and there's an understanding that in 10 years, that refinement will continue to happen. And so I'll look back at what I'm saying now and go, ooh, I, I got those wrong, kind of mm. thing. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So out of that, how I look at it is, you brought up one of the first delineations of soul and spirit. What's What's the difference? And I think the difference is best defined as this. Our soul is that immortal peace locked away somewhere within who we are, within our mind and our heart. It's there because it, it, it is that spark of life in us. And I think the spirit is the best explained as the cumulative of my soul, my thought, and my heart. My heart being the emotions. Because hmm. I don't think it will just be... If I hold that the soul is the immortal part of who I am, I don't think this drab existence of who I am that I can't fully understand will continue to exist. I think the continuation of existence is the whole of who I am. And that's best expressed as the spirit, the combination of what is the immortal side, the soul, the combination of what is my intellect, my mind, and the combination of what is my emotion, my heart. Does that make sense? Um, sort of. But when you're not saved, what part of you is dead then? What's the part that's not alive? Wouldn't that be your spirit? Or do you have a spirit before you're saved? I would say that we all have spirits. But, it, but, it, but they're dead before we get saved? Because of the curse or something? If your soul is dead, it's there, but it's kind of destined for death. Can anything else go on? So is it dead or is it destined for death? I would say it's destined for death 
unless that course not, change comes in. But not, but not dead. Right. And that's your spirit or your soul. I'm saying soul. So part of how I think of who we are as an existence is a triune in nature. Right. In Genesis one and Genesis two, God says that He made man. You know, let us make man in our or humankind in our image. Okay. He uses a plural there, in our image. This is the second implication that God is more than a singular, right? Trinity is never spelled out in Scripture, but Trinity is always hinted at that there's more going on with God than just a singular. And not like a pantheistic, but the as we understand it within the Trinity, God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when God says, let us make man in our image, it's kind of how I've come to look at and understand the Trinity, where you are, as an individual, you are your mind, your heart, and your spirit. You have your mind that is is subject to your thoughts, subject to the needs of the body. You have your heart, which is the emotions and you have the spirit, which is that spark of uniqueness that is you. I Sorry, soul. I keep putting spirit in there, but soul. And the three together are what, would, what I would express as your spirit, who you are. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> so... But what about where in Corinthians, Paul tells people to pray in tongues because that's, oh wait, is that in the Bible or is that something I read somewhere else? Where if you speak in tongues, your spirit can commune directly with God or something because, because your human mind, oh, because your mind, you're not praying with your mind, you're praying with your spirit when you pray in tongues, right? So how does that go in? So this one, this is where it gets a little bit on the, uh, I'll say, kind of weird side and mistranslated. Okay. Romans eight twenty six to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us, and that's capital S Spirit, with groanings too deep for words. And he who, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, that's been extrapolated out into speaking in tongues. Well, but that's not exactly the passage I was thinking of. Oh? I, it's, it's where Paul is admonishing the church about tongues. 1 Corinthians 14? That the one you're speaking of? Yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on, let me go there too. Okay, First uh, Corinthians fourteen, thirteen. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? So, 
that's kind of the verse I was thinking of. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to go a little bit further in what Paul is writing. Okay. You got to go to verse six. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Uh, there's an aspect and a rule that is not followed well with tongues. Yeah, but well, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about, yeah, you're right. There is, but that's not the point. The point is when you pray in tongues, you're praying with your spirit to God's spirit. That's the question. Not like the decorum and the rules for tongues, but what's happening when you're praying in tongues? And is it that um, under the definition of soul or in spirit, how you sort of delineated those things, how does that fit in? This, this fit in with your definition. That fits into the depth of who we are. Have you ever been so grieved that there was nothing you could speak Nothing you could say to the depth of that grief initially or the depth of that hurt. Yeah. It's that. And it's not always hurt and heartache. It could just be there's a hunger or something that is not able to initially be expressed in words. And the only thing that we can do is sit with, sit with God. Sit with Christ. Sit with the Spirit. Sit with the Spirit. Yeah. And, and that's more of speaking with tongues. It's aligning. So, all right. Uh, hmm. This is something I, I guess I've spoken to a little more openly, but I'm always cautious about it. But uh, one of the things, one of the habits I learned is I have to hit pause I have to figure out a way to carve out time for me to hit pause and to sit with and speak and, and be with the spirit. Mm -hmm. And I learned that a long time ago of, you know, I, I have to do that. And so one of the things I've done is to hit pause, I'll stop and have a cigar. So me sitting and having a, a cigar carves out normally an hour of time for me give or take, to just not be around people, not be inside, not have technology, just, I, I've got nothing. I'm just, me and the cigar. And in that, I'll stop, I'll pray, I'll sit, I'll listen, and it's having that silence. Okay. Uh, I've done the same thing when I go hunting as well, where it, it provides me a, a stop to, to be stopped. And to listen. And there's a depth of prayer that happens in those moments of silence. Right. There's no, you know, there's no verbalized gibberish that's happening. But there's a communing with the spirit in a way that is, is something I can't do when I'm moving. When I, when I pray throughout the day or when I'm, I'm thinking of someone and praying for them. There's a, a, a shift in intention is maybe the best way to phrase that. Yeah. And I think that's more what Paul is getting at is there, there is a personal aspect to the prayer language and there's a very public aspect to the prayer language. The public aspect that is speaking in tongues requires translation and not, I have just spoken in tongues, now let me translate. That Nope, big no-no. Yeah. 
that that's a big no-no. Right. Now, prophecy has that aspect of, okay, I think God has given me a word, but prophecy also requires its own sets of checks and balances. Yes. Okay. So, again, we're talking spiritual, which always has these kind of rules that we do and don't follow, and it gets complicated because every denomination has a different way of walking into it. So, when I try to talk to God, sometimes I feel feelings, or I, I, I have a desire, or I want to connect to God, but I really don't know what to say. I feel like everything I say is stupid. And I wish I could, like, be unlocked, or why I just feel stuck in my communication. And it would be handy <laughs> to have a way to pray that sort of was less hindered by my own insecurities and baggage and second guessing myself constantly but it's weird because when I when you look I'm still not really comfortable with tongues for myself because I don't get how it developed from um you know in acts it was like the audience heard a specific language that they knew like so the 12 disciples were speaking a specific language they just didn't know that language and that's what tongues was. But I don't get how that evolved from that to, like, I'm speaking something and I don't know if it's a language or not. I don't get how it evolved to that. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. I can't remember the revival. Uh, there was a revival in the ni- 1900s, somewhere in the South. And part of the outpouring of that revival is... There was an element of it where people started speaking in tongues and someone in that revival said, oh, that sounds like like Chinese. I think God's calling you to be a missionary in China. Hmm. And so this person then took that calling, moved to China and realized that it was not Chinese they were speaking, that it was gibberish. So that very specific reference that you made happened to the the disciples right at the beginning of acts when the spirit of the lord descended it was what 72 days after how many days after was that it was whatever it was somewhere around 70 days and uh out of that out of that they spoke in different tongues and languages of the crowd around them and each person heard them yeah in their own language and I think that one is more of the spirit translating that moment to each heart that was there from the voices that spoke. I wouldn't say that that was a very specific, okay, you know, Peter speaking in Greek and uh, uh, Luke, or not Luke, Luke wasn't one of them. Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew. I love how I blanked out on all of the other disciples. <laughs> right when i need it right out of the head all right anyway but you know peter was speaking in greek and andrew was speaking in syrian i i think it was more along the lines of this phenomenal weird moment happens 
people were there to witness it, and the Spirit is translating what those men who are experiencing the Spirit for the first time are saying. Right. Because it says they were hearing them in their own language. It may very well have been all... I don't think they had voted in the 12th one back to replace Judas at this point. But, you know, from that, I don't think... No, they did. So Matthias was already in. I don't think that they were were speaking in different tongues as much as it was the Spirit just translating the whole of the conversation as they're going, what's going on? And then they start speaking towards what Christ had promised, what this new chapter was for believers. So, Pentecost, 50. It was 50 days. Wow. Pinty. 50. Because hmm. later it does say, and then they spoke in tongues. Later in the Bible it says, and they spoke in tongues or... It says tongues, and it does not refer to a specific language. It doesn't say there was... I, I just think it's interesting. I, I think I tongues is, is maybe best described as a combination of what is our spirit and the Holy Spirit. And it's a very personal prayer language, and if it's used in public, it requires translation. If it's used in private, it's you having the time to sit there and just be with God does not have to be a verbal language as much as it's just allowing the depths of yearning or brokenness or desire or, 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 or to be free with God. Because I, and, and this is how I look at it, where it's tongues and that prayer language is very personal, which is part of the reason why it's, it's a heck of a time to translate all of this. And understand all of this because there are these aspects of what the spirit is doing that is very personal and sometimes we fall short on describing that and when we do we systemize something that doesn't work right. for everyone yeah and i think it's sketchy maybe to try to systemize something that's so bigger than us maybe. right and I, I think that's part of what we have to understand as a church broadly speaking is that Sometimes we're going to be tempted to systemize things that have no desire to be systemized and or have no means to systemize. And maybe what we need to do best is going all the way back is understand that there is a, a very deep ingrained spiritual truth that starts with we are not supposed to die. Our soul knows this. It's expressed through our spirit, our heart, our mind, our soul. And so when we enter into things like Halloween or, you know, uh, the, the, the festivals and celebrations that we have, trying to understand and reconcile ourselves with death, hmm. those we've lost and the fact that, hey, you know, to, we're all skeletons on the inside. Yeah. Kind of thing. I thought of a really interesting thing just now um, about connecting the the desire that the church, that people have when God moves and does something to systematize, to package it and make it reproducible, basically, is what we want. Something that's reproducible so and consistent and predictable, which I, all I can think of is um, C.S. Lewis, where <laughs> somebody says, he's not a, Aslan is not a tame lion. 
he's not tame. He's not going to do what you want him to do just because you want him to do it. But I was thinking of, speaking of booths, this is so funny because this comes full circle. You know how during the transfiguration, like something wild and crazy happened on the top of that mountain and there was a voice from heaven and Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus and Simon, uh, Peter and uh, John or Andrew, there was James three. and John. Yeah. And Peter, because he put his foot in it again. He, because he, he, um, I guess it doesn't really matter who it was, but, um, my point is something amazing <laughs> happened, wild and crazy and holy smokes. Wow. And there's Peter and he's like, hey, 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 I have an idea. I have an idea. Let's build a booth. Let's, let's like, should we like build something permanent here? Should we like camp out here? And Jesus is I, I'm, is that when God spoke from heaven? Like, he's like, no, we're not going to camp here. This was great. This is good. But we're not going to camp here. We can't camp here. We're not building anything here. Right? So the best way I heard this equated, and I love this, okay, because it's funny, it's lighthearted, and it, it takes this moment and helps you understand a little bit more of, of, from our perspective. I heard a pastor mm-hmm. say that, that what happened is, you know, Jesus goes up there. He's talking with Moses and Elijah. And I mean, these are like two of the biggest superheroes of the Old Testament of prophets. You've got mm-hmm. David, who is this amazing king and political kind of spiritual leader. But Moses and Elijah are like the yeah. superheroes yeah. of. So when Peter speaks, and this is where the pastor provided a little bit of extra commentary that just makes it fun and relatable. Peter is looking and saying, this is incredible. We need to build like a whole amusement park up here so other people can come up. They can see this. They can partake in this. They can get what's going on. And and you are correct. We We can sell lunchboxes. Exactly. (laughs) And and Peter wasn't looking to monetize it, but he knows that what he is experiencing in witnessing this moment is huge. It's huge enough that other people should be able to witness it as well. Mm-hmm. That other people should be able to come experience the encounter and walk away going, wow. Yeah. I need to bring my whole friends and family back. So, yes, that, that that's exactly, that's exactly it. And it's right after Peter says that, that the cloud descends and God's voice appears. And it's, you know, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Boom. And everything's yes. gone. The moment has passed. And Jesus looks at, it's Peter, James, and John, and says, yeah, don't talk about this. Shh. <laughs> Isn't that exactly the opposite of what they want to do? I, well, again, how do you reconcile with what you've just seen and experienced? And it took them a while. It took them walking with and understanding, again, that this was a moment for us. So we can testify to, to it later. It's not repeatable. There's no systemic way that we can recreate. And and we miss that as a church where it's, you know what, yes. the spirit of the Lord, when he moves, he moves. And the best thing we can do, align ourselves with him, not try to align him with us. We align with yeah. him. And that's, again, that's the tricky part of the spirit because it, yeah. it's, it's deeply personal. Yeah. But when you know, you know. And there's a transcending peace and very much mountaintop experience where you're like, 
I, I get that. I don't know how ever to, to recreate that again. Because I've had moments with the spirit. I've been like, great, can I have that again? And it's never happened yeah. in my life. Again. No. And what if that is a sin? What if that's exactly why... Remember that story in Samuel-ish? Uh, I think it's Samuel. Where Saul wants to go kick some Philistine butt. Mm-hmm. However, Samuel isn't there to he they're supposed to do some kind of sacrifice beforehand to i don't know kick kick it off or or say okay this is for you jesus or something something like that so he's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for samuel and samuel is not coming so saul's like okay i'm gonna do this myself now because i need to get going so he sacrifices the oxen or whatever and then there comes samuel and he is mad because Saul did not wait for the Lord. He tried to recreate something that is good in the right time and right place, but it was not his job. And it maybe isn't that also the sin of Aaron's sons? Maybe that's what it means by strange fire. Possibly. You remember the, that weird thing where they, they took strange fire into the temple? Could that be what that is? It's trying to to do something that's supposed to be, to try to recreate something that is supposed to be holy, but not doing it in a way, just trying to recreate it instead of waiting for the Lord's fire from the Lord, just trying to do it yourself. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and that's that's part of what's tough, and that's part of where those boundaries of, whoops, I've stumbled into heresy because it's, the, the spirit is this very living, very active, very moving mm-hmm. piece of, of worship. And if I come at you saying, I've got it systemized, I understand it, I know, don't trust me. So, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How, so I'm with you, I, I agree, and I agree, but how then do we have the gall to have a tent meeting or have some kind of crazy service and tell everybody what's going to happen. Like, come to this healing service or come to this revival because it's going to happen on my watch. Like, does that make that wrong, you know, to, to do that? I think so. I think it's okay for us to say, look, we're going to have a revival in that we're going to, we are going to seek to bring a, a new life or a new aspect of ministry into what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But I think that requires prayer, that requires the leadership of the church to be on a page, and that is not walking into a revival expecting that we will call down the Spirit. The Spirit's going to move, and when the Spirit moves, it's this. When true, legitimate revivals have happened, very rarely is it someone saying, I will have a revival, intentional. I, I actually don't think that has ever truly happened. Doesn't it start with, like, people repenting and being on their faces, sort of? It starts with aspects of true worship. And there have been revivals that have been true and legitimate and overflowed into the greater community and have sparked a a whole new era. But I I don't think it has ever started with someone saying, we are going to intentionally bring the Spirit and bring revival. I think it starts with people intentionally walking into repentance and then walking into true worship, and then the spirit moves in marvelous ways. Mm. So this systemized... Okay, so nothing against Billy Graham and nothing against what he did. 
he did a ministry of revival that wasn't seeking to, you know, call the spirit down, but it, it was a it was a missional ministry more than a revival ministry. But they called it a revival. And and there's a neat story with Billy Graham and my family that I'll have to share sometime. I, I've got some connections okay. with that. That's pretty cool. But he he had I think it's fair to say that he had the spirit on him at a point that created a ministry that was intended to go out and preach the word, draw people's hearts to the word, but not create revival like we think. This spiritual outflowing of tongues and prophecy as much as it was to draw people to the word, to draw people to worship. Yeah, his focus was really about salvation the the moment of salvation and that that right. seems like to be what it was really all about was getting people saved and that was sort of where it ended right and and revival and crusade have been tossed around with him and what he's done in the past did in the past and yeah i i think there's a mixing up of of ministry of revival of what the spirit does how the spirit moves But in the end, I think it's just we have to understand that there's a part of us that is immortal and a part of us that is mortal. And the tension between the two draws us to the spirit, draws us to the spiritual realm, and that it is the spirit of God that we engage with and interact with there. Mm -hmm. Because it's that spirit of God, that outpouring of love through Christ, that outpouring of original creation and blessing in God, all of that expressed in that spirit that lets us begin to walk with, interact with, and understand. And that there is a deep yearning for that that's expressed through things like Halloween, through things like trying to understand our mortality, and that just walking into it there, we can begin, even in baby steps, a small journey. That was very concise of you. Way to bring it around. (laughs) <laughs> I told you, I had I had plans. I had intentions. How am I freaky? Yeah, you're good at that. Good at what? You're like talking. We're like <laughs> talking. I'm talking and you're like playing chess. <laughs> it's 4D chess. I just appreciate that. It's not, it's a talent. <laughs> you have a talent. I'll admit it can be a little bit creepy and even from my my end of things where I'll be sitting there and be like, oh, hey, look, here's a connection. Oh, gosh, I need to stop this. I'm scaring myself. <laughs> but, yeah, that was good. And it's a good starting point, anyway. It is. And, you know, all of the questions that you listed, like I said, there's a couple hours worth of discussion, podcasting, ministry, and years of study Just behind all of them. Well, and that's it's part of what we have this podcast for. We're interacting, exploring. We're looking at the world in new ways. And, yeah. hey, it's okay to be different. It's okay to ask questions. There is no, There is no question that we should be scared of. Yep. On yeah. that note, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. This was a bit of a longer one, but it was fun. Yeah, have fun editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and what I gotta put that creepy little girl's laugh in this somewhere. <laughs> you need to do it at the beginning. Yeah, I should. I'll have to find it's that creepy music. Makes something sh- fun. Ah, oh, Monster Mash. 
That's the perfect Halloween song. I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, quick aside, I'll, I'll have to find the video too. But like in 2019, as I was getting ready for Trunk or Treat, I did a promo video of uh, I, I had this skeleton that appeared at my office mm-hmm. for Trunk or Treat. Someone just made it appear. And so I just made a video of it going through my day at the office, you know, typing at mm-hmm. the computer and all this goofiness. And uh, <laughs> at the same time, I was running like Instagram posts of, oh, I got a leg up on my day and the skeleton's leg was hanging from the ceiling in my office. And it... <laughs> yeah, that's cute. I don't know. I had fun with it. All right. Goofiness aside, it was good talking to you. You too. I'll talk to yep. you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 42 podcast. Please take a moment to like and subscribe. And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter to add your voice to the conversation. Thank you.